If you would buy our heads, we're going to pray real quick for our offering, and then I have a video to start off our sermon series. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. Lord, we are reminded in this year, 2020, whatever that means to you, God, that no matter what number we assign to a year, you are still our source. Everything we have ultimately comes with you. Everything we've earned, we earned because you gave us the brains and bodies and oxygen to earn it with. So God, as we sow back into your kingdom, I pray every single one of these dollars, cents, checks, whatever it is, Lord, would be used to the furtherance of your kingdom. God, that more people would feel exactly what we talked about today, your love, your power, and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with a short video here, and then if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 10. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. Not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team. You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. One of the greatest things that a few years ago my family at home was in a big fight. And it's a big family, a big Italian family. They're fighting all the time, so it's, you know, it's not that big a deal that they're in a fight. It'll happen then, it'll come around again. But, but I remember, although I stay out of it because I don't live in this, even live in the state of Michigan anymore, I went back and my mom had asked me to help. And somehow, through the grace of God and maybe just through years of uh, being a mediator in conflicts, I was able actually to help in this scenario, which is very rare when it's your own family. And I remember something my mom had said to me that she had never said before and never said it this way, but she was so happy and she gave me a big hug and she said, Tom, you were born to be a peacemaker. And you know what? I've heard people say a lot of, Tom, you were born to be this. You were born to be a lawyer, you were born to be a teacher, you were born to be a, of all the things I'd ever heard under the title born to be, when she said, Tom, you were born to be a peacemaker, 
that one just surged in me above all others. That there was purpose behind that. Purpose beyond just my paycheck. Purpose beyond just my pleasures. That there was something powerful in being born to be something that embodies the attributes of the kingdom of God. And when she said that, I just said thank you. And I remember walking away because I didn't want my mama to see me cry. But I remember tearing up thinking, you know what, God? I, I know you speak through parents. And if this is it, I hope that I am born to be a peacemaker. That would be a life well lived. But we don't always get the life well lived. James Dobson, in one of his commentaries, wrote this. The ordinary life of the ordinary man is pulling our tired frame out of bed five days a week, 50 weeks a year. It's earning a two-week vacation in August and choosing a trip that will please the kids. The ordinary life is spending your money wisely when you'd rather indulge in the latest whatever. It's taking a bike ride with your son on a Saturday afternoon when you'd rather watch the baseball game. It's cleaning out your garage after working 60 hours, attending social functions that you just can't get out of after that same 60-hour work week. It's dealing with head colds and engine tune-ups, crabgrass and income tax. It's monthly bills and health checkups, striving for promotions and saving for retirement. And then we're gone. And just like a battery that needs replacing, the next guy steps up and does what we just did. Perhaps it was a Chicago sewer worker who said it the best, one of the most prolific statements about life ever made. He said this when asked about the meaning of life. He said, I dig the ditch to earn the money, to buy the food, to get the strength to dig the ditch. Carl Sandburg, a famous American satirist and poet, summed up life like this. Born, born, <laughs> troubled, died why the most important question of your life is not the what what you do what you look like but the why of your life and this morning i want to talk about a life of significance and kingdom design purpose never underestimate the difference that one person can make in this world that is our series this january and that's where we're going. If the Bible shows us anything, it shows us that God often uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Now you may ask, how does God make us, how does God make me significant? All you have to do is go back to first grade Sunday school. It's all right there. The first way is this. He loves us. He loves us. If God didn't love you, believe me, you would not be very significant. God loves us. Everything God does in us and everything God does toward us out of his perfect power is filled with his love. Even when he withholds things from us, it's loving. Even when he allows certain things, it's loving. Now that is not to say that God is the cause of everything and that everything that may happen to you was God's will or God's design. But everything that God does in you is through the power of his love. The second thing is, he accepts us. And, and a lot of people, yeah, 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 God accepts me. No, 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 don't fly by that. When God says, I accept you, Tom Nackey, you know what he's really saying? 
you are significant. You aren't some idiot. You aren't some throwaway. You aren't trash. You aren't drunk. You are significant. Oh, I know you got weaknesses. I know you got things to overcome. I know how the world looks at you this way, and I know what people have said about you. I know your past. I know your history. But nevertheless, you are significant. He loves us. He accepts us. By the way, whenever we accept somebody else, we make them significant. I see that every time I go out and I hang out down at Church Without Walls. Talk about a people looking for significance. You hang out, joke with them, get elbow to elbow with them. You can see it in their eyes. Thank you for making me feel significant. By accepting me with your life. Third thing is he forgives us. What does the forgiveness of Jesus mean? It doesn't just mean that we're forgiven of our sins. That's a lot of people think. I'm just glad for the forgiveness of God because I'm forgiven of my sins. Listen, that's done and over with. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus died on the cross. They're all on the cross. They, the ones you have committed, the ones you will commit, the ones you are committing, they are bought and paid for by the blood. And people may say, well, then why do we still talk about forgiveness? Here's why. Because if you're not living in the power of God's forgiveness, you're living in fear. And everything you do for God is out of fear. I'm afraid God's going to hurt me. I'm afraid God could do it. So I... No, no, no. When God forgives us, fear is never the motivation again for one more second of our lives. Fear is never the motivation again for anything we do for God because we are forgiven. And then finally, he partners with us. And that partnership is what I would call your purpose, your calling, and your significance. And of course, the primary purpose for everyone here is very simple, very simple, to glorify God. Everything and everything we do, everything we say, and everything we think. The word glory comes from the Hebrew word meaning to make heavy or weighty. In other words, God becomes the big deal. God becomes the weighty person in the room. God becomes higher, weighty, and more important than anything else. And our significance as a single life on this earth begins when we make God the top priority in our lives and we encourage others to do the same. Believe me, you've just become significant. And you feel it. You'll feel it. In James chapter 5, verse 17, a lot of people miss it. It's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. I missed it for many years. I blew by it. Didn't think it was a big deal. Didn't think it made sense until all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. James is talking about you and me and the church and the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. And he realizes he's got a bunch of people in the church saying, well, I'm not Peter and I'm not Paul and I'm not Moses and I'm not Elijah and I'm definitely not Jesus. And James, knowing that people were struggling because their significance was being found in these superstar Christians, he says this, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Elijah was an ordinary person. 
He struggled with lust and pride and depression and fatigue. At times, he got doubted both the goodness and the existence of God. And this is the prophet Elijah we're talking about. Born from Boogertown, Israel, in nowhere Gilead, he is remembered as one of the top five figures in the Old Testament. Why? Because he placed a higher priority and passion on eternal things rather than temporary things. Elijah was assigned by God to confront the evil King Ahab and Queen Jezebel because they were importing into Israel demon worship on a commercial scale. And this is a very daunting task for one person to make. And God called just one person to take on this king. And that was Elijah. But Elijah learned and discovered one powerful truth, and it was this. The evil king Ahab and the evil queen Jezebel, they were as temporal as a blade of grass that rises up and dies each year. But Elijah was serving a God who was eternal. And he placed the eternal above the temporal. Because Elijah's path was being set by God, he knew that God would not send him into a life purpose only to fail and wallow in insignificance. In fact, Elijah knew that if it was from God, then it was worth doing. Perhaps the only thing that was worth doing. Because see, God does nothing that is insignificant. There is nothing God does, whether it's through the church or whether it's through just little old you. There is nothing God does that isn't significant. Humans do a lot of insignificant things. You can look back over here and say, you know what? There are a lot of times I really just wasted the day away or I wasted this away. Or there was nothing really. I just breathed and took up space. Insignificance may be something we struggle with. It's not something God struggles with. There is nothing God ever does in us, around us, or through us that is insignificant. If God is doing it, then it is significant. Our significance lies in God's purpose for us. Statistical analysis, uh, uh, statistical analysts, get that right, uh, from Bank of America and Merrill Lynch have concluded that there is a 20 to 50% chance that the world we live in is not real. Now, come on, raise your hands. How many of you are like, I kind of think that myself, you know? We're like plugged into the matrix, right? And we're all living out some sort of virtual simulation. Well, here's the interesting thing. This may sound funny, but a growing number of scientists and philosophers are now becoming convinced that this is the case. And their conclusion is this. Since we do not know if life is really real, then how can we say whether or not life really has a purpose? Catch it? See the, see the, see the, the truth that they're trying to cling to there? Life has no purpose if all this is just a simulation of virtual reality. Now I want to read our scripture for this morning that is definitely rooted in reality. In John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, 
Now, but the sheep have not listened to them. Now, Jesus is obviously using imagery and symbolism to talk about a life truth. When he says, I am the gate, he's saying, I am all meaning. I am all purpose. I am the one who governs what is truth and what is deception, what is honesty and what is lies. I am the gate. One side of it is honesty, truth, and purpose. The other side is lies, deception, and fruit, fruitlessness. So I am the gate. And there have been many others who have come before me, and they were wrong. They were false. And I'm sure he's thinking about some of the great religions of his day. Uh, remember, there was like the Persian religion. They believed that the earth was the dead carcass of a god. And that we were all living on that. Jesus knew very well that that wasn't true. He created the earth. That it wasn't the dead carcass of a God. So Jesus is recollecting. All these things. I am the gate. When you come into my sheep pen. You've got purpose. You've got significance. You've got truth. Verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Living a life of purpose. Living a life of under the saving power of Jesus Christ, it's not just a good thing to find purpose. It's also the thing that protects us from all the dangers of the afterlife. He says, they will come in and go out and find pasture. In verse 10, he says, but the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and life to the full. There's a thief out there. He wants to steal your focus. He wants to steal your priorities. He wants you to be critical of everybody. He wants you to be prideful. He wants you to think you're above everybody. He wants you to think you're beyond your giftings. He doesn't really he, he wants to blind you from your purpose and deafen you from your calling. He's going to work everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy the work and purpose of God in your life. He does not sleep. He does not eat. And he never grows tired. And he will work relentlessly every day, the, every day of our mortal lives to steal, kill, and destroy the great things God wants to do through us. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. So our purpose is simply this. And I, I don't know if I made a slide. I hope I did. But if I didn't, listen carefully. It is the unique story that God wants to communicate to the world through you. It is the unique story that God wants to communicate to the world through you. And by the way, since you are unique, and there's no other you on the planet, that story can only be communicated by you and nobody else because you're the only you on the planet. Whether it's your family or your friends, your character, your principles, what you stood for, your God, whatever it is, that's your story. And so my question for you this year is, what story are you going to write? 
are you going to look back and you're going to see chapters upon chapters of, I was critical of this person and I really hoped that something terrible happened to him. I sure hope not. Because that's the part of the book that God's going to say, this, these were the low years of this story. But if you're like, you know what? No matter what enemy comes my way, I'm going to pray that either God deals with them or they bow their knee to Jesus. Now that's a good story. Amen? So how do you determine that story? How do you determine God's call in your life? I just got five things real quick. First of all, begin by asking others. Begin by asking. God is often going to use other people to reveal things about yourself. I'm on the inside looking out in my life. I don't always know what I'm good at. I can't always see what I'm good at. I can't always see what others see in me. So I put in my life trusted people. When I say, hey, do you think I would be good at this? Do you think I should try this? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? There are going to be people that God is going to use to help shape that call and that purpose on my life. You ask the question, what have people said about me? When my mom said that, she said, you know, I think you were born to be a peacemaker. Now that's something that I always try to do if I can. Now every now and then, I'm like any other man, my, my anger may get the best of me, or my temper may get the best of me, but I'm hoping those are just isolated incidences that are few and far between, but the general pull of my life is Tom is going to be a peacemaker. Where there's division and conflict, he can bring about at least boundaries and hopefully resolution. You ask the question, what am I born to do? That's why I started with that video. You were all born to be hockey players. Now, I think they were born for much more than that. But in that moment in the game they were facing, that was exactly what they needed to hear. This is you. Now go out and be you and win that game. In Proverbs 13, chapter, verse 10, says wisdom is with those who receive counsel. Ask healthy people who you trust who will love you enough to be honest with you. And that'll be good. You know what I mean by love you enough to be honest with you? I have had people tell me I'm good at things I know I'm not good at. And I'm looking at them like, oh my gosh, you're just trying to flatter me. Stop trying to flatter me. I don't need, I won't be your friend just if you flatter me. I'll be your friend just if you're you, but please stop trying to blow smoke because you're just flattering me. <laughs> Don't work it on my language this year, but it's getting better. Can you? I mean, come on. I used to slip a lot when I was about five or six years ago. Number two, listen to your passions. Ask yourself, what excites me? Psalm 37 says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Ask yourself, what need, what need do I see in the church or in the world that God has created me to meet? What need? Think about that right now. What need in the church or in the world do I see that God has created me to uniquely to meet? We are under the lie that when God calls you to something, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be terrible. God's going to call me to, to, to Borneo, and I hate Borneo, and I hate the Pacific, and I just got to go there and be miserable. But if I'm miserable, that must be God's call in my life wrong wrong that couldn't be further from the truth god's gonna give you a passion about something one of my buddies his goal was to be financially independent 
by the time he was 40. And he met that goal. He's a millionaire now. And so I asked him, I said, now what are you going to do? Okay, you can check one thing off the box, but what are you going to do with your life? He said, Tom, I have got a passion. I'm hooking up with this ministry that goes into Cambodia and pays gangs to rescue girls out of prostitution and then deliver them to a Christian orphanage. He said, not only am I going to financially support it, I'm going to start making trips over there and we're going to organize the biggest reduction of slavery in the country that that country has ever seen. I feel called and passionate to be a part of that. That's great. That's awesome. That's a passion. He, he doesn't fret, fret over having to go to Cambodia. It's not a miserable thing for him. He wants, it's a passion to do. He's excited. Now, it's going to be hard. It's going to take money. It's going to take courage. He's going have to have to have the stones to do it. But, let's keep our focus on God here. But I've seen him his whole life. A little fighter kid from Seattle. And I know he'll do well. God has brought him to this moment. And he's now going to shine in it. Number three, realize your gifts and abilities. Ask yourself, what am I good at? There is a lie that we feed our children and a lie that Jer- Americans believe in general, that we can be whoever we want to be. And as a youth pastor, and as a father, and as a pastor, I've seen so many kids, I want to be that, I want to be that, I want to be that, and I'm going, you are not that. You are not that. I'm sorry, but of course, you don't say anything, because the moment you say, the, oh, you're just a dream killer, you know I mean? It's just, you know, so I'm like, oh, how do I say this without saying it? You know I mean? It's just... We are under this lie that you can be whatever. No, God has uniquely gifted you. Look at that and be that. If you don't like the sight of blood and puke, you're probably not going to be a doctor. If you're afraid of getting bitten by a dog and a cat, you're probably not going to be a veterinarian. Have you ever seen Joe's hands? He's got scars. I've got one scar. And I show everybody, I got bit by a dog. I'm so cool. I got bit by a dog. He's got more scars I know what to do with. I could never be a vet. I would never want to get bit every day for a living. I know that's not my, my gifts and my calling. But it was Joe's. And he loves it. Recognize your gifts and abilities. I remember I had a basketball coach telling me I could be an NBA player. What? He kept talking about Spud Webb. I said, Spud Webb can jump three feet in the air. I can't jump three inches in the air. Come on. (laughs) It's a feel-good statement that has no basis in reality. Although you cannot be anything you want to be. I hope I don't burst anybody's bubble here. Although you cannot be anything you want to be. God has given everything you need in terms of being everything he wants you to be. And the moment that thought becomes good enough for you to be who God wants you to be, all of a sudden, you slip into 
the power of the Holy Spirit like you've never experienced it before. Confidence and courage surge like you've never known. You stop trying to be what you're not and accept who God's called you to be and then be the best at it. I can't think of a more significant decision to make than that one. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He says, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Number four, submit to God's spirit. Ask yourself, what is God asking me to say yes to? And I talked about my buddy and uh, being a part of freeing slaves in Cambodia. He knew that that was something he was saying yes to. Came to him years earlier. And he fought it. Didn't, didn't want to ruffle feathers. Didn't want to get involved in something that didn't seem to be his business, especially in a country that wasn't his. But at one point, he just said yes to God. Search your heart for a moment. If you're like, hmm, I don't think I have anything in there where I need to say yes to God or that God is asking me to say yes to him for, then maybe you're on your phone too much. Maybe you watch TV too much. Maybe you go for walks too much or play with the dogs. Maybe we're not spending enough time in reflection because I can tell you this right now. There's almost always something God is calling us to say yes to. And when we say yes, we often find our purpose. Number five, the plan never goes away. Some of you are young, so this is a great message. Oh, I can't wait to discover this. But some of you are older and you're thinking, I'm glad I found that, and I'm glad that I gave, and I'm glad that I am now retired. No, you're, you're, you retire from a career. You retire from a job, but just like being a father or being a son, you never retire from who you are or from who God's made you to be. Some of you may remember the story of Caleb in the Old Testament. Caleb was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land to see if it was good. And Caleb was, Caleb and Joshua were the only ones that came back and said, it's good, God's with us, let's take it. But the other 10 spies were afraid and they led the whole nation to not go into the promised land. And so God said, for 40 years, you're going to wander around the, the wilderness and you're not going to go. But amazingly, God made a statement. He kept Joshua alive and made him the leader. But he also kept Caleb alive. Caleb is now an 80-year-old man. But Caleb knew, my call is to take the promised land from my people and my family. So at 80 years old, it wasn't one of his sons. It wasn't one of his captains. He's a tribal chief. He's probably got thousands at his disposal. He didn't go to any of that. He knew it was my call. He went there, dressed, armed, sword in hand, and he said, Joshua, you know it was just you and I back in the beginning. There's the mountain I want. That's the mountain God's given me. Give me the release, and I'll go take it. Joshua said, man, let the old field take it. Caleb, at 80, brandishes his sword. 
running uphill against giants who were three to four feet taller than him. And they took the mountain. Everybody else got inheritances according to family. I mean, according to a tribe. Caleb received that mountain. He was the one individual that receives a land grant on the whole invasion because he lived out his purpose. He didn't say at 78, ah, well, I guess it's my son's job now. No. At 80, he ran up the mountain and defeated the giants. If Caleb can do that, then anyone here who thinks they're retired, think again. Because I think God's got more from you than just sitting, breathing, and waiting to die. Amen? Amen. Amen. Life is like a dollar bill. You get to spend it, but only once. Don't let good get in the way of best. On September 11th, 2001, a man named Wells Crowther was an ordinary man from a rural American town working on the 104th floor of the South Tower of the World Trade Center. He was known as the man with the red bandana, if you've heard this story. When the plane struck the South Tower, it ripped through floors 78 through 84. Wells put on his water-dipped red bandana over his face so that he could safely get down the smoke and fume-filled floors, and he eventually made it down to the 78th floor. And there he found a bunch of other people who had made it down and they were trying to use an elevator that was gone, broken. Realizing that they needed to go down the stairs, he saw everybody leaving and there was a woman sitting by the elevator. She could not go any further. He picks up this woman and carries her 19 floors below until they meet up with clearer air and the sound of firemen working their way up. At that moment, he made a decision. And he did something incredible. He turned toward the stairwell and he went back up to the 78th floor and he began carrying all who couldn't walk down to the fireman pickup. All with his red bandana over his face. Nobody knows how many trips Wells Crowther made. His body was discovered six months later alongside a group of firefighters. He was only identified because he was the man who had saved so many. He was identified because he had the red bandana on his face still. He volunteered to give his life for others when he could have turned and run for his own. You see, no matter what purpose we may all have, our primary purpose beyond glorifying God is this. God has placed us here to save lives. Our culture is decaying and it's dying. Our planet will one day burn in fire. And many of the false gods out there offer no real hope of escape other than just don't believe it and it won't happen. 
but that's just rearranging chairs on the Titanic. Jesus Christ is the only way of escape from this world into the next. And our primary calling is to point as many people to him as possible without regard to our own popularity or prosperity. When we pursue God's purpose, plan, and path for our lives, he transforms our ordinary existence into an extraordinary life. And I ask you, what could be more significant than that? Let's pray. Before we close today, and before we respond by asking God to give us one of those purpose questions, the very first step into any life of significance is to surrender our pride, surrender our hearts, surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of Kings, as we sang earlier today. He is the gate, the one and only gate through which we enter and are saved. And so this morning, with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, it would be wrong of me to go past it without making an invitation to say, is there anybody here this morning where you would like to make that step, become a Christian, and become a follower of Jesus Christ? If that's something that you would like to do, please just raise your hand right now so that we can see it and signify it. Amen. 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 Why don't we all pray this together? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me, accepting me, and forgiving me. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Help me to find that purpose, that call, that significance, that question that I can say yes to you, being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.